0: You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week two of Sacred Rhythms on the topic of Scripture.
1: In this session, we're going to practice skills looking for God in Scripture, much like mining treasure. God promises that those who seek Him find Him. And the more we look with intention, the more we find. So before we begin, I want to point out, God has been evident already. By you choosing this class, I mean all of the classes, obviously, God has been drawing you here. And just like in Psalm 27 where it says, you said to me, seek my face, you said, your face, Lord, I will seek. And you have come here because he has been drawing you. You have been responding to his work inside of you. He is aware of the ways that you feel like you might just not measure up. You're trying to do this rhythm thing and, oh, I blew it today. He's aware. He's aware of the deep longing in your heart. He's aware of the needs you have. And he has invited you here because he wants us to meet with him. And he wants us to get to know him. And he is calling us to a vibrant relationship with him. Not just the ho-hum thing. He really wants for that to occur. So when you consider how much, and we've shared in the groups, you want to get to know God. Think about it, he wants it even more. Just multiply that by like infinity. So Christy spoke about the goal of knowing and enjoying God. Well that can sound daunting or unfamiliar. How do you know a God you can't see? or enjoy a God who seems more like a principal or a policeman ready to thwack you if you step out of line. That was my first concept of God. Even though I was raised by Christian parents who wanted to instill godly principles in us, I still saw the whole thing as this is a list of do's and don'ts. Like you do this and God will smile at you. You do this and God will frown. Well, who wants a frowny god? Like nobody, right? So I did not want that. I did not want his disapproval. So I did the right things. But it wasn't an engagement of my heart. It was just an external thing imposed upon me. And I think I wanted to avoid pain, punishment, and hell. (laughs) So that was my motivation. That of course is not his motivation and he has been drawing more and more. Our concepts of him are formed and defined. Our concept forms and defines the way we relate to him. So if we have that kind of concept, if any of you had that, that defines and forms the way you relate to him. And he wants to blow that concept out of the water because that is not who our God is. And I can stand before you today and say, By his grace, I do love him wholeheartedly. So it's gone from following out of this because I had to and to avoid pain to seeing him more and more and actually loving him. And when you get to know him, the way he presents himself in scripture, like, and know that he is drawing you and has gone to such great lengths. For this relationship how could you not just love him more and more? So that's what we're doing now. We are taking him at his word and not at others' opinions or the kinds of feelings that we have had. We are going to scripture and seeing what he says about himself. He doesn't want us to just follow rules. He wants our heart because our heart is safest with him. So that's why there's freedom in knowing we're not following rules, we're following the God of the universe who created each one of us and has designed us exactly the way we are. But how do we follow this invisible God? So Hebrews 1, one to three gives us a clue. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So God has revealed himself through his Son in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus affirmed this in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but is they that bear witness of me? Do you know what scriptures he was talking about? It was not the New Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament. God has revealed himself through his Son and through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And we often want to separate the Old and New Testament because, after all, the God of the Old Testament, wasn't he harsh and judgmental? And the God, you know, Jesus is this kind... You know, Lamb and Jesus and God are one. Jesus said that multiple times. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament are also intertwined. And they reveal Jesus, who reveals the heart of the Father and his redemptive purposes for us. <coughs> so, God's desire for us is to restore the lost intimate relationship. Christy went over that last week. That is his pursuit. And to transform us into holiness, the likeness of his beloved son. So a good place to begin would be to look at the life of Jesus. And as Jesus walked along the shores and through the villages, he invited those to come and follow him. He invited the 12, but he invited anyone who would be willing to listen to him and wanted to find out what he was there for in his message. <clears throat> but these, these 12, he, he, didn't, he didn't invite them to come so that he could impose, do this, these rules. He invited them to join him in his life to impart truth in this life-to-life relationship. This was his calling then and this is his calling now to us. So one who follows the teachings of another, a disciple, mm-hmm. often takes on the perspective and qualities and practices of the one they're following, kind of like an apprentice does. You know, you, just, you follow this, this thing and you, you become like what you've been taught. Disciple and discipline actually have the same Latin root, which is instruction, teaching, training, which is what we've been talking about. These disciplines are training us. Though we often associate discipline as punishment, and we went over that last week, with, with Christy pointed out, the negative connotation we have with discipline, and yet if it's training us for good things, there are benefits to it. So, we have this, uh, the goal of discipline is to lovingly correct and shape through training in redemptive and life-giving ways. So it can be described as an external practice designed to bring about an internal change. So we're doing these external practices, these are tools, to bring about the internal change. Not just to externally right wrong behavior, but to renew our minds from the inside out. Is that true of the way we <coughs> discipline people too? <laughs> That's, that is the point. Mm-hmm. The point is not retribution, it is to bring about and train so that there is redemption. Be- between retribution and redemption, there is a huge chasm, yeah. So that that would be yes. That would be my yes. Um, God's principle in creation, when he created people or animals or trees and plants, was to be fruitful and multiply after their kind. So this same principle is true of us as disciples of Christ, to reproduce the life of Christ in us in such a way that that also um, teaches others to follow the things, to observe the things that he's commanded us. That's part of his commission. So Jesus, as the exact imprint of God, reproduced the same in his disciples in word, in action, and in love. In fact, it, it was said... They were known to be Christians by their love for one another. Luke 6:40 says, "A disciple, this is us, when he is fully trained or disciplined, will be like his teacher." Is that not what we want? We want to be like our teacher Jesus. So may it be so that after we've engaged with Jesus in the Scriptures. We absorb his mannerisms, we put on Christ and his nature, and then in turn leave behind his example for others to follow. This, by the way, is another aspect of holiness, being set apart and markedly so, so that his nature and holiness is evident in us. So we achieve holiness through intimacy. Like the disciples spent time with Jesus day in and day out. They'd eat together, they'd walk together, they'd laugh together, they'd fight together, they just were together. So the intimacy and that familiarity and that fellowship was there. So spending time with Christ, we achieve intimacy as we're transformed through holiness, and we achieve holiness through intimacy and spending time with Christ. And so the two are intertwined. Intimacy and holiness. They're both goals. We want to get to know him more. And we want to become like him. To the intimacy and the holiness. So they're goals, but they're also results. As we spend time with him. It becomes a natural thing. He working in us. Us engaging with him. It's not a passive thing. So since God's heart is for us to experience deep relationship with him, let's talk a minute about relationships. What have you found to be essential building blocks for developing close relationships? Like what separates, distinguishes your closer friends from your acquaintances? What kinds of things do you look for or appreciate in those relationships? Trust. Trust, yeah. Top one, right? If you can't trust somebody, you can't really get to know them, and you're not willing to share from yourself. Good. Anyone else? So we're time, together. time together. Shared time, shared history, shared moments, shared values. Anyone else?
0: Thoughtfulness.
1: Thoughtfulness. Kindness. Yes. A safe place. Right? That we want, if we don't have a safety feeling in our relationship, we don't really want to engage too much. Good. Anyone else? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yes, being transparent. Good. Good. So think about it an individual who takes the risk to be transparent revealing their inner thoughts and life like an open book is seeking relationship. You don't just put it out there unless you want to, to, and have that exchange. So, <clears throat> this is true of our God. He wants this intimacy through a bond of trust. <clears throat> and he has he has. He's worthy to be trusted and on each page as you read through the scripture He is there, revealing Himself being vulnerable showing who He is showing that He is worthy to be trusted This right knowledge of Him as opposed to the wrong knowledge which is what I shared at the beginning is allows us to grow in our understanding of His character and then our trust so Why else would we we trust somebody we don't know. So As we focus on the scriptures, we discussed who they reveal. What actually are the scriptures? <clears throat> Why is the Bible given to us? The scriptures are amazingly consistent in the message that they reveal of God, of his nature, of his love, of his purposes. And they, are, they were written over hundreds of years by 40 different authors. Each very different in their personality and their position and their time period, but very consistent in their message because they were prompted by the Spirit of the Living God to write what they wrote. <clears throat> so it is authoritative and inerrant and consistent. So, this is a little bit of, of doctrine. Doctrine is core teaching, core teaching of our faith. So it's a review for some of you and maybe new for others. But it's foundational for each of us, sisters, to know, to know the truth, to know the rock upon which we stand. Because we, live, we are living in a world where truth is being eroded, where authority is being eroded, where the concept of God is being maligned. And we need to know the rock and foundation upon which we stand. The authoritative plumb line of unchangeable truth, it is not subjective. We can stand on it. We can trust it. It is reliable because based on the nature and character of God himself. Jen Wilkins said, the antidote to a false teaching is a true one. We're only lured into wrong belief about God when we are unschooled in right belief about him. God has chosen to reveal himself through the scriptures and through Christ. (coughs) So by learning the scriptures and measuring everything else we hear through that filter, then we have the discernment and we have the understanding that we're seeking. And we have that intimacy and we have that holiness that's transforming our minds. (coughs) So when we see these scriptures that have been preserved for us throughout the ages as a gift, then we are maybe more apt to open them and to get into a rhythm of really seeking and finding. They're revealing God, they're revealing so much that um, we need because he created us to need him, to commune with him, to fellowship with him. And he has given us everything we need in order to do that. When we see that as a gift, then we're free to respond and follow him in love. Not out of a sense of duty, not because we have to, not because we're working for his favor. We're free to experience and know him as he's revealed himself in his love and his glory. We're free to see he's worthy of our trust, worthy of our love. So here's a couple verses that speak to its benefit, reading, the word of God is alive and active. Not like any other book you can pick up. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, our motives. (coughs) Second Timothy says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, doctrine, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Sounds like discipline. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what are the benefits the Bible tells us? You want to just call them out? Teaching. Mm-hmm. Teaching. Teach teaching. Correction. Correction. Training. Training. Good. Instruction. Truth over opinions or trends or feelings. This is what it gives us. Scriptures lead us in the path and process of sanctification. And we have them at our fingertips. We have them even on our phones. Not every country. Every person has this access. So Jesus prayed. This is Jesus' heart for us. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. D.L. Moody quotes, the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. This is transformation. So there's lots of benefits to reading scripture, but I'd like us to read this one together. Romans 15.4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Is that a good word for somebody today? To have hope. This is the source of our hope. This is the source of truth. This is the source of our life. So, why do you study the Bible? Here is a graphic. Starting at the top and going clockwise. Well, to know God, right? That's where he's revealed. To know God's will. It's also evident his purposes in general and as we'll go on we can find out more about how he also reveals his will in a more personal way. Becoming godly, we're talking about that. Holiness, transformation, bearing fruit. That would be the fruit of the spirit, or that would be multiplying into other disciples. Defending yourself. This is the rock, the truth upon which we stand. Defending against wrong beliefs. Fueling our prayers. And we're going to talk more about this when we, when we get into the prayer section. And fueling our joy. That's where the enjoyment comes from. So why are we going over all this? Think about the great lengths that God took so that you could know him more fully. He wants to be known. And when we open this precious book, we can know God as something to reveal to you. You don't have to be a scholar. It's living and active, not ancient and irrelevant. So a sacred rhythm would be to ask God to open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. And look for ways God reveals himself in scripture. So I'm just going to share a, a personal example. I was um, going through uh, John earlier this year when when uh, Easter, between the events between Easter, between Palm Sunday and Easter and all the events of that week. And I was entering in like a disciple, being there and observing and processing that and thinking about Peter, for one, who had just, Claimed that he would die for Christ and then three separate times he denied not only following him but knowing him. And just thinking about Peter and how I would, I Peter, I would have been kicking myself in such great remorse. Like how could I have done such a thing? And don't you wish I could, you could re, you know, rewind and go back and change the story, but that's not possible. And, and so he went, he went back to fishing and Jesus met him there. He met him on that shoreline. He met him physically and emotionally and spiritually. And for every one of those times that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus recommissioned him and showed him that he was entrusting him with his flock. Now, he didn't meet him like I would have. I would have been like, hey, Peter, you know, what were you thinking? <laughs> that parent would have come out in me, like, what were you? No, that's not how he met him. He revealed himself as a redemptive God, as a wise teacher, as a gracious friend, and the example and modeling to Peter of what forgiveness, healing, and restoration looks like. This was the Peter who at one point said, well, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven, and he thought that was a great number. And now he had done this horrible thing that is written in history books for everyone, and yet Jesus showed him, again, this training. He shaped Peter through training in redemptive and life-giving ways. Peter received abundant forgiveness in a way that marked him for life. And this what happened to Peter. He became the rock. He was the rock. That is his name, too. So we go on, and then Jesus talking to Peter and telling him how, how he's going to die. And a pretty somber conversation and an intimate conversation. And Peter is like, does anyone know Peter's response when Jesus was walking with him after that? He's like, well, what about John? And I'm like, Peter, really? You're like, this is Jesus telling you how you're going to die and everything. And and Jesus said to him, and I'm shortening this, um, what is that to you? You follow me. And those words, written thousands of years ago, reached out from that shoreline and pierced my heart. And I have read this story tons of times before, but I had been dealing with someone's attitude. And I was like, what about them? What about them? Da, 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 da. And Jesus was like, what is that to you, Cindy? Like, let's talk about this. What is that to you? Really? What's going on in your heart? And, and he listened to me say what was going on and why it was, and he revealed my own heart to me through that. And it was a beautiful time of fellowship, his correcting me and training me in redemptive ways. Is that not the heart of our God? So, the spirit, the word reveals God. And his heart, and his love, and his his desire for us to be freed, and the Spirit illuminates it, and this is transformational. So we have we gain freedom from the binders that blinders that we've accumulated. So I'm going to jump ahead to just thinking about. Um, Beginning with this rhythm. I would say, again, begin with a prayer. God, open my eyes to see these wondrous things you have for me. So we're not just, I mean, we can read the Bible and then we can write down our notes and everything. But we really want to engage with the scripture, with the God of the scripture and his heart for us. We can't do that without the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating and and drawing things out. So then we ask, how are you revealing yourself here? How are you revealing yourself here? And there's tons of attributes. And you see them in the beginning of your book. And there's even more than that. Christy could have written a whole book of them. (laughs) But how are you? What What is this that you want me to see about yourself here? So say that you know he's he's revealing himself as as the good shepherd. Well, what does that mean? You know, picture that. How how are you shepherding me? And and think of the ways that he has he's, he's led us, he's provided for us, he's protected us, he's even laid down his life for his sheep. He calls us by name. So you're you're reflecting on those kinds of things, whatever whatever passage you're in. And then, and linger there, linger there, because it's like, it's like a banquet. He's, he's placed all these things in scripture for us to enjoy and, and put in all these wonderful flavors and savorings and everything, and we want to get to the, you know, just quickly eat and run, you know? And so it is, yeah, it's there for our nourishment and for application, but it's also he wants us to linger and to enjoy it and to, and to just enjoy each morsel each verse and, and reflect and fellowship. Is that not why we get together and eat for fellowship? This is what he is he's offering to us. So then a follow-up question, which is going more into application, is what is my response to you? Is it a promise? Is it a correction? Is it a direction? It's a place for me to respond and say, God, you are so good. You're so good to me to reveal this. Open my <laughs> eyes even more. Make me more aware of who you are. And, um, <clears throat> and then we, and we respond in prayer. We respond with worshipful hearts. We respond in confession like I did when he showed me where my heart was. And repentance, sometimes it's intercession, whatever. That is our response is to give, give that back to him. And so Christy is going to bring us further into that.
0: Okay, thanks, Cindy. And I'm encouraged, and I hope you are too. (laughs) I'm happy to share Cindy with all of you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Everyone should get to know her. Yes, everyone should get to know her. She's so precious. (laughs) Yes. Um, each week we're going to conclude the teaching time with a short segment of practical skill building time. What does this look like to actually implement? Okay? How do we look for God in Scripture? Because the applications or what we take from it are going to vary from person to person, depending on how the Spirit's using the word in our lives. like what Shindy shared with her personal example. But the character of God is unchanging. So if we start there, then we have that basis. Looking for God should be our first priority, that is knowing him. Knowing him, loving him, obeying him, these things that we all want, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't just happen by accident. We actually seek to know who he is so that we can then respond in love and trust. Just like Cindy said, we can't trust someone that we don't know. So here's the, the rhythm that we've been talking about, this pray, read, reflect, respond. It's the same rhythm that we've been using in your homework. And I'm going to move through this pretty quickly. Um, Cindy just touched on these things. Um, just acknowledging, first of all, that we need the Spirit's help. The Word is living and active. And the Spirit, one of the main roles of the Spirit is to illumine the Word to us, to help us see and understand who God is to read the scriptures, and then reflection, as we've been talking about, is just to think about it. What did we just read? Are we actually taking it in and processing it at all? So this is where we would insert this skill of looking for God. So after we read, this is a a first step. Okay, I just read this passage. Now, how do I see God revealed here? And this might be very explicit and obvious, in a passage like the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Got it, okay, it's black and white. But many times it's implicit. And so we have to do a little digging to see how does this story or passage reveal God's character to me? And then the response um, looks like praise. Sometimes, friends, it's just resting. Like, I see you as sovereign. And thank you for being that sovereign so I don't have to be? Or maybe it's a point of conviction that requires our confession, our repentance, or our obedience. So, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through an explicit example with you. But I want to show you kind of what this might look like. So, I have um, an example from an Old Testament book, 1 Kings. All right? It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, who was a prophet of God, and he said, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the carath Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the carath Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So we could be like, oh, that's a cool story about Elijah. Neat. Um, moving on. Okay. Or we could be like, oh wait, so how does this reveal God? And so if you start thinking that way, then suddenly I'm saying, okay, well he's, he's communicating with Elijah, he's directing him, he is providing in an extremely tangible way for Elijah's needs, which if he's providing, that means he knows what Elijah needs, He actually cares what Elijah needs, and he actually has the power to supply those needs. Do you see how that just keeps going? And uh, not to mention his sovereign power over creation. He's sending the birds with meat and bread to feed his prophet. So we see all these aspects of God's character. The application if you read a passage like this, is not to say, okay, well, my family and I are going camping this weekend, so Lord, tell me where to set up camp. And I'm just not going to worry about food. You're just going to bring the meat and the bread. Like, no one is going to do that, okay? (laughs) But the application is drawn from his character. His character. He's still the same God. He's communicative. He guides and directs us. He provides. And he has power over all things to orchestrate what he wants to accomplish. Do you see? So anywhere in Scripture, we can begin to glean his character. So here's a totally different example. This is from Colossians, New Testament, letter to the church, commands. All right, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we often read passages like this, and inadvertently, innocently, we're looking for us, okay? So the first thing we often will do is say, oh, holy and dearly loved, I am holy and dearly loved. And you are, you are. But let's start by looking for God, okay? So we see this list of commands. He's given us commands. And if you were with us for Exodus last semester, we talked about this. Anytime the Lord gives his law or his commands, His heart's in there. What is he trying to communicate? What is he trying to tell us about who he is and about his design for life? And so suddenly we're thinking, okay, why these characteristics? Well, it's because we're meant to image him. And so if we actually come in line with what he says is honorable and good, and this is how we are to interact with each other, then we'll experience the fruit of that goodness. So suddenly we're seeing that it's his character. Not to mention the second part here in verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving as the Lord forgave you. Like that just kind of is, forces you to stop in your tracks and be like, forgive as the Lord forgave me? Wait a minute. How merciful he has been to me. And so then you're not going out there and just trying harder to be kind to somebody that's, that's annoying you. You're motivated and you're reoriented to God because of what he's done for you, who he is. And that gets you back on the right track, gets you back in alignment with him. Do you see how this changes our perspective when we come to the scriptures? This is one of the most foundational things. If I could give you one tool, this is one of the most important things to take away. So we are over time, but we're going to do this anyway because I don't want to just talk about something and then you leave and feel disjointed about what it was that we talked about so I have an index card for every table with a passage on it and these Bible verses span from Genesis like all the way through okay so all different genres of scripture and what I want you to do is we're going to go through this quickly like three minutes at your table read the passage and just Brainstorm, how many attributes of God can you pull out of this passage as quickly as possible? Okay, I'm gonna pull you back. Did you find something? Is anyone completely sober? Like nothing. Okay. You can really keep going. And if you have a group, it's really cool to, to get other people's perspectives too and to see how God reveals himself through every passage of scripture. So um, that's a little bit of what it looks like. If you still have questions about this, I'm happy to talk about it after class if this still feels kind of weird and clunky. But I do encourage you to practice this week okay? with this rhythm. So you're going to go through your homework. It'll take you through it. This little prompt to look for God will be in the reflection section. And then anywhere else you're reading in scripture, just start to train yourself to look for God and then to actually think and linger, like Cindy said, on who he is and how that compels our response to him.